Take your time, no rushes. Oh, baby, please don't go. Oh, baby, please don't go. Oh, baby, please don't go down to New Orleans. You know I love you so. Before I be your dog, before I be your dog, before I be your dog, I get you way down here and I make you walk your dog. Turn your lamp down low. Turn your lamp down low. Turn your lamp down low and I beg you all night long, baby, please don't go. Mijacker! Mijacker! Let's bring Mijacker up here! Baby, please don't go. Oh, baby, please don't go down to New Orleans. You know I love you so. Before I be your dog, before I be your dog, before I be your dog, I get your weight out here and I make you walk the dog. Still we gonna bring Mick Jackson. Mick Jackson. Baby, please don't go down to New Orleans because I love you so. Before I be your dog, before I be your dog, before I be your dog, I run to way down here. Baby, please don't go. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us this week, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Uh, this is from a concert in 1981 at a place called the Checkerboard in Chicago. It was a Muddy Waters concert, and the Rolling Stones were in the little audience. It was just a little club is what it was. And uh, so Muddy Waters calls Mick Jagger to come up on stage, which you just heard him sing a little bit there. And then he calls Keith Richards to come up. And Keith was, I would say, thoroughly inebriated at that point and he kind of fumbles around on stage and I think somebody finally gives him a guitar but he was uh, it wasn't what I would call a notable performance by Keith Richards but anyway uh, you know we've kind of been doing some stuff by Muddy Waters today because of the uh, destruction of his uh, little hometown in Rolling Fork Mississippi by a uh, tornado about a week ago so um I just figured while we were doing it, let's go ahead and do a little of it. All right, so this is the time where we talk about what we do here at Dupree Financial Group, which is uh, look at the markets and try to make uh, decisions 
based on the data that we have. And of course, everything's always clear cut. It's, you know, we really don't need to do all this because we know what to do just the way we are. No, seriously, we do do a lot of research. And today, uh, the PCE, which stands for something, um, is an inflation gauge. And it's personal the, consumption expenditures. Index. There you go. That's it. The, yeah, I knew somebody would know it. Uh, the, 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 this is a, a Barron's article by Megan Casella. Uh, the Federal Reserve preferred in inflation gauge climbed at a three-tenths of a month pace. So that would give you a 3.6% inflation uh, uh, rate annualized, making a slight slowdown from the month before as pricing pressures show signs of gradually easing, which would sort of corroborate the narrative that Inflation is slowing down. Even so, you got the CPI, you got the PPI, and then they look at the PCE, which goes back to that thing which we've always said: uh, inflation is a personal thing. If you drive a lot, uh, let's say you use diesel or even regular gasoline, you've actually seen a price cut in the last uh, six to nine months. Uh, so inflation is not hitting everything. And, and I feel like, I mean, if you look at oil prices, which peaked at 120 and change, what a year ago, maybe something like that. Yeah. You know, right now you're seeing oil in the mid seventies. So, um, I don't think you've seen that big. A, well, I don't know. Gasoline probably. I think regular gasoline got near to five dollars, and now it's nearer to three dollars. So you figure you put twenty gallons of gas in your car instead of paying a hundred dollars, you're paying sixty. Well, that's a price cut. And as we've said in the past, when gasoline prices go down, it's almost like a tax cut. You know, for people who drive a lot, that number is down. Now, my feeling is that that's beginning to work its way into other things. But, you know, oh, you've got all these different gauges of inflation. I think you'd have to argue pretty hard to say that inflation is still going up. Well, the, it, it, it's very selective. I mean, you've seen the, the So are you our version of Mick rates. Jagger? Today I am, yeah. Okay. Sure. We, we, <laughs> yeah. Chad Sturgill. Chad Sturgill out there. Get Keith on Richards, up everybody. Keith Richards. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, well, you've seen in certain areas, I mean, services, the, the prices have gone up. Uh, rent is still going up year over year for sure. Those components are. I think it's more of a shortage issue, but that I don't know. That's that's absolutely part of it. I mean, the the rate of the increase is, is, is not as high as it was three months ago, six months ago, for sure. But it was double digits six months ago, and now yeah, it's it went in the high nuts. singles. Yeah, absolutely. went nuts. It was up 30% over, like, less than two years or something. And those rent high, uh, rent increases generally lag the home price increases by about 18 to 24 months. So it was expected to see rents kind of catch up to what the housing prices uh, spiked right before the rates started going back up here about a year ago. But uh, if you're in the market for is, a car right now. in PCE? Is it part of PCE? Owner's equivalent rent is part of, uh, that, that's actually part of CPI, but yes, they do use it in PCE too. Uh, that, and that's a big component. So 
but the owner's equivalent rent is an adjusted um, version of the of the home price that's based on the. All right, uh, now I need your Mick Jagger impression. All right, <laughs> no, come on, come on. You were doing it a minute ago. Yeah, when we weren't on the air, of course. Yeah, well, we're on the air now, so come on. It's let him, let him talk about car prices. Well, All right, I'm sorry. Car prices have, are still showing various elevated signs, and it was a supply demand issue for sure. But it's uh, they you're seeing sales slow down quite a bit because. The, the prices went up due to part shortages. Now the prices are staying up, but interest rates have gone up. So if you, if you went to buy a new car three, 18 months ago, let's say, you could get a 2 or 3% uh, You're interest not getting rate. that now. You're getting 7% or 6%. Right. And, and people care about the car payment, what the monthly payment is. Absolutely. So they're, so it's, they're seeing a, a slowdown in car sales. And also, we're starting to see a pickup in uh, in delinquent loans and uh, repossessions. That's it. It's not at any any uh, worrying level yet, but the trend is up. Is sure. the consumer tapped out? That's I mean, the that's what we're hearing. Yeah. I'd heard that credit card uh, use after the banking crisis just dropped through the floor. But that that was something they they make a point of here. This the PCE reading does not include anything after the banking crisis. And I think right. that was part of why they're the, going to have a big, big surprise Yeah, when you get, you know, the March data all in. Yeah. So I, I read, um, it might've been Jeremy. So we're looking at February data right now. Exactly. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I read that, uh, I think this was Jeremy Siegel, um, expects that the, the banking issue uh, could could be the effect of a 120 basis point increase by the Fed. Yeah, in time. Yeah. Increase, what do you mean? Uh, but the, the, the same effect on inflation as if they raise rates by 120 bips. Really? Yeah. So he thinks it's deflationary. Yes. Well, I would argue it might be inflationary because based on our discussion with the congressman in the last hour, mm. he talked about, the fact that now they've set up a, a credit facility where banks can take their treasury bonds and uh, pledge them as collateral right. to either the FD and it's not the FDIC. It may be the treasury at par. Even if those bonds are trading for 80 cents on the dollar, they can get money loaned back at par. So that difference is, is new, but see, that's the thing. You're always going to have, cross currents right right so you know but they're borrowing against that money uh, at a higher interest rate than the bonds there pay. you go so you do have well a negative, that's negative another spread. yeah exactly so the yeah the problem with the banks is they're stuck in a lot of loans uh and bonds are loans which are paying a lower interest rate now your commercial loans that the banks own those tend to reset and what does that mean? That means they tend to be floating rate, which means that if prime goes up, you know, you might get a loan and it's got the fixed rate for two years. When the bond, when the loan gets redone, it's going to be at a new rate. Some loans float even more frequently than that. So that you'll see resets on that kind of stuff yeah. more frequently. A lot of people though, with rates low, instead of taking out adjustable rate mortgages on their homes, you know, they fix the rates at 2%, 3%, 4% when rates were lower, the 30 year was lower. Right now, a 30 year rate, you're going to pay six and a half percent for a mortgage. Yeah. 
on a car loan, I don't know what they're charging, but it's probably in that vicinity if you've got a 700-plus credit score. Right. If you get something in the fives, that means you have excellent credit. It's. I mean, I don't know how you're going to get a five. Well, I, I don't mean five, low five. I mean close to six. But okay, that's, like that's the very best eights, available, and that's five for and three quarters. Term. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what does that mean? Well, in terms of the uh, saver and the investor, and that's who we're trying to talk to here. You've got to see. You you want if you have money in cash sitting in cash, you know, make sure that if it's, if it's critical that you earn some sort of interest on that, there are lots of places where you can get 4% plus on your cash. They aren't necessarily at banks. And we talked a little bit about that in the first hour that banks have seen what's called disintermediation where, and this, this has gone on for decades. It, it's not, this isn't new. I remember when they first started money market funds. It was right about the time that I came into the business. And money market funds are little, uh, are they're not little, they're massive. They're mutual funds that are designed to keep the share price constantly at a dollar a share. So they are not... Uh, the way their design is, they're not designed to ever go below a dollar a share, which means that they invest in very short-term, very liquid securities. In some case, okay, we use, we tend to use, uh, we exclusively use U.S. government-backed mm-hmm. money market funds, which means those are investing primarily in T-bills, and the T-bill rate was almost zero for years and now it's closer to three and a half four percent which means those money market funds that are backed by those obligations are yielding significantly more than they were 15 months ago and you can get a nice uh rate of interest or return if you will on a on a money market but some money uh, some money market funds invest in things that are a little farther down the the credit scale, like uh, bankers' acceptances, commercial paper, those kinds of things, and their rates are going to be a little higher, maybe around four and a half percent. And some banks are now offering money market funds that are FDIC insured at right around four percent. So you got a lot of options out there. Yeah, the last ten years, you know, it's it's been good for borrowers, not for savers. That's flipped flipped now. around. Um, cause if you, if you, if you're one of the lucky ones and you have that, you know, three and a half percent or lower mortgage, you're earning more than that on your quote unquote risk-free assets now. Exactly. Yeah. The window for refinancing mortgages has really shut. Uh, I think you're going to see people that just basically are forming new households or they have to move for a job or something. Those are the people that'll be selling and giving up that 3% or three and a quarter percent right. mortgage. And the data I've seen is about 99% of the mortgages out there are uh, at lower, I mean, the, the uh, homeowners or the borrowers have uh, are paying a lower interest rate than they could get on a mortgage today. Right. So, so the most no incentive to refinance. And you know what else that means is that those mortgages on banks and people that hold them books are underwater. They're trading probably well below par or what, was paid for those mortgages. So 
and one of the biggest holders are the banks and the Fed. And and you have, uh, you know, you you you've got a lot of those mortgages out there uh, that are that are really underwater now. You know, the question is, where is inflation really going to settle out? My bet is, and I'll bet you all right now, and I know Chad's going to take this bet because he <laughs> likes to bet me and he wants to, he likes to see me uh, pay up. But he, he, you know, the problem is you got to be sharp, you know. But anyway, I'll bet somebody will take this bet. I bet you that the PCE is at 0.2 next, next month not 0.3, which would give you an annualized rate of inflation of 2.4%, which is now getting back into where the, you know, our Fed chairman, uh, the Honorable Jerome Powell, uh, is saying we need to be at a 2% inflation rate based on global standards. I think we're getting there. I really do. Well, that's a lousy bet because I think that's actually what the consensus is for. But uh, so I'm not going to take well, your bets. Well, 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 I mean, okay, you're just you're just uh, you're you're correct. I believe I agree with you. I think the the expectation should be that the monthly inflation number will go down next month. I think it will. I, I think so that's no the evidence is there. No bets no, here. No bets. No bets. No, I, I agree with that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, y'all are just no fun. Okay. <laughs> So the, the, the thing that I think is going on here is if you have money that's not just cash money that needs to be invested and you're looking at it for income and you're, you're sort of looking out, you want to buy things that even if interest rates go down, will somewhat be locking in a yield for you. It's tough to do. You could go out and just buy bonds right now. You could buy other things that maybe have exposure to bonds, or you could buy dividend-paying stocks that have a history of paying dividends over a long period of time. This is something we like to do with our clients, and, you know, it's worked pretty well for us over time. Right. If it's long-term money... Money market's not a solution because interest rates are going to change. If they go down, you're going to be just like the I-bonds. Everybody got on the I-bond kick. Those are going to be kicking in at a much lower rate. I had a guy telling me, well, my I-bond's still paying over 9%. Yeah, well, when how often do those reset? Uh, every six months, I believe. Okay. So, So, I mean, not much longer. It's not going to last long. Um, And so – with long-term money, don't get fixated on what's happening right now. Maybe cash is an important part of the you know your allocation in the investment portfolio. That's possible. Uh, you have cash for your emergency funds or you know money you need liquid. But for investment money, it is not a long-term solution. It um, isn't, and especially if you're trying to get a rising uh, income. Cash is not going to do that long term. Why do you long. need a rising income stream, Mike? <laughs> I'm trying well, to set just, you up there. Set, trying to you're, set, you're, you're just putting bet. the ball on the on Teeing the on the TV. Yeah, right. oh, just inflation. That's right. Yeah. And even if, even when you have periods where inflation, <laughs> when we have periods I'm where inflation glad. is this low. Is, uh, Thank you, Chad. <laughs> well, 
We're Chad the interrogator. <laughs> well, when inflation is low, you still it's going to cost you more. Why will it cost more, more in five years? <laughs> because the federal government has to inflate their way out of their deficits. So. Oh, <laughs> they would never do such a thing. So, yeah, so they would, uh, on that, though, you, you people ignore the cost of inflation. They're just worried about protecting their principal uh, too much sometimes. And uh, if, you're, if you have a longer-term time horizon, you really just you can't make that a priority. So if you want to protect your principal, you need to think in terms of protecting your principal adjusted for inflation and taxes, which means the principal, you want it to be going up over time. Now, is that a straight line? No, it's tough to do. Sometimes you, you struggle to get there. You know, I'll tell you what this inflation thing has done over the last year or so. It's been a double whammy. It hammered the bond and stock markets, which meant principal balances came down. But inflation, the cost of doing stuff went up. That is a tough hole to climb out of. We do the best we can. You know, not every money manager gets it right. Um, but we, we still believe that research is kind of the way forward. And um, that's, that's what we've stuck with, and it's served us well over the years. So, You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with... Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, and our host, Tom Dupree. If you would like for us to take a look at your portfolio to see if we can help you make your money work for you, call us, 859-233-0400. You can go to our website, dupreefinancial.com, and schedule an appointment directly on the homepage of our website. We will be back with the next segment of our financial hour in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Baby, please don't go. Oh, baby, please don't go. I know you are a lady. I know I love you so. Before I be your Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for the second half of our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So that's a song from 
uh, Sticky Fingers, the album by the Rolling Stones. I want to say that's 1973. Uh, and they had a sign on the or a picture on the front of it that that was outlawed. I mean, there, it was considered, um, you know, suggestive. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Let's see, seventy-one. Wow, I didn't know that it came out that early. Anyway, all right. Big short investor Michael Burry uh, says I was wrong to say sell. He probably said I was effing wrong to say sell, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, the guy, he's like one of these, he's like that guy. What was that guy's name uh, that was, you know, telling Warren Buffett he was. Uh, oh, um, Portnoy. Portnoy, yeah. I, I, I'm i going to put him a notch or two above Portnoy. But still, these guys, you know, okay, you were right one time. Oh. Yep. Yeah, but he was really right. Yeah. He, he made was. a lot of money. He was really right, but he was almost not right because right. his timing. That's right. He was early. Yeah, that was on the big short. The big short. Yeah. So okay, he might still be right. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's know? right. He's because he said back in January, sell. That's all he said was sell. Yep. And okay, great. Yeah, let's sell. And people were wrong, you know, or not not wrong, but the market had some more to to go. Yeah. And let me tell you something. I don't think these guys completely take into account um, the power, which we never had when I came into the business, the power of uh, dollar cost averaging that still takes place every month from people putting money into mutual funds through their 401k plans. I'm going to tell you something. Mm -hmm. When I started in this business in 1978, there was no such thing as an IRA and there was really no such thing as a 401k. So now it's many, many trillions of dollars. And those people that are still working are still every month taking money out of their paycheck, going into these funds. Typically it's mutual funds. Or ET, I guess they use ETFs and uh, primarily mutual funds, yeah, open end right. funds. Okay, so that's why you know Capital Group uh, is still massive, yeah. Vanguard massive, Fidelity massive, uh, because they have these mutual funds that get bought every month. Might be two hundred dollars from this guy, three hundred from this lady. But yeah. you start adding it up, the money is going into primarily stocks. Mm -hmm. Most of that money does not go into bonds. Most of that 401k money goes into stocks. I've been in this business for 45 years. I have seen that happen in my career. I've seen that take place. Go from zero to trillions. You've got that... A lot of times they don't talk about that. Yeah. But that is, and the other thing is the way that works is it's better when the market goes down because now your $300 a month buys 
40 shares of that fund, whereas before it was only buying 25 when yeah. the market was expensive. Now you're buying more of the same thing at a lower price. That's the beauty and the miracle of dollar cost averaging. Yeah, absolutely. The With guys like Michael Burry, there's, there's a more, I mean, the noise right now is just, it's deafening, the noise that, that's out there. Everybody... You know, talking about how bad the market is or this or that. Everything you read, especially two weeks ago, was negative. You couldn't find a positive article out there. Michael came out in uh, January 31st when he just. Well, your your board county just came through there, Michael. (laughs) Did it, man? I've I've been trying to hide that for so long. I'm sorry. Now, um, <laughs> the uh, I'm sorry. I, I I have to point stuff like that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> man, you see. All right, so so I I went on a, a he's white not wa- discriminating today. I went no. I went on a white white water rafting trip when I was about twelve, and the guy asked me. He said, "What? Where are you from? Or what's your name?" I said, "Mike." He said, "Mac? No, Mike." Muck? No, Mike. Where are you from, boy? And so, I, you know, my, Mike. Anyway, no. this guy, Mike. he, uh, in January 31st, he just tweeted out, sell. Mitchell. Mitchell. Um, there's. And just, yeah, with no indiscriminate kind of yeah. thing. So people out there, investors, you know, if you have a 401k, you have your investment account, all this, you see that and you're like, well, this guy was right for on, on on the on the financial crisis you know he's going to be right on, on something like this he sees something bad coming and you get these people there's no accountability for a guy like this no um he deleted the tweet and he he admits that he he frequently deletes the tweet um and so there's no accountability these guys they're it's 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 gambling uh, when you're right. short selling you're, you're you're it's betting is all it is and so when you're listening to this when you're consuming this information just listening to it taking it in it, it's gonna affect your emotions it's gonna potentially lead you to do something not smart from a long-term planning standpoint so this other article that you've got b of a says investors run to cash at a speed not since seen since COVID. So consequently, based on the noise, yeah. you know, they've gone to cash. You know, we've got a little more cash than we've typically had, but I don't feel bad about it because what we like to do, sometimes you begin to see a trend and you can begin to buy back into things. You might not tick them at the bottom. You know, it's tough to do because yeah. the market generally will change its sentiment almost i've seen sentiment change in a few minutes you know market sentiment i've seen the market get way oversold and literally in a period of minutes the sentiment changes sentiment to from bearish to bullish it can do it and sometimes it'll not just be for that day it might be for the next six to 10 months sure in a in a in a matter of minutes that's why you don't ever know if you're really seeing a bottom or not until you begin to see some confirmed moves and that is where technical analysis can be helpful also right because all technical analysis is is a measure of supply and demand it's just a measure 
of buyers and sellers. The other thing he points out is the buy the dip mentality and um, talks about how he's never seen it before. Uh, you know, buy the dip, you know, has been going on the last 10 years. Um, but like you said, a big part of that's dollar cost averaging. Um, it, but he's looking at the uh, next day returns after a big drawdown in the market. And it's been the most positive going back decades, you know, people buying in after a dip. So the idea, and we, we've talked about this, mentioned in the last couple of years, how quickly uh, the market will flip the other direction. It's like you're seeing uh, time, you know, is getting compressed. Yeah. Things are happening quicker. Quickly. Um, so the idea of trying to time the market, get out and get back in, not only is it unlikely, a lot of times it's actually impossible to do you're because be you're, to. you're looking at, you know, a few hours window right. to do that. Um, and so it just, it just reinforces the idea of a long-term investment plan. There's all, always going to be periods like we've had the last year. Um, there, there will be again in the future. Um, but if you have a good plan in place, uh, it doesn't have to derail that plan unless you do something that dismantles it. You know, you right. sell everything, go to cash, try to time it. Uh, that's almost a guaranteed way to, to cause problems. Well, a couple of things on that. First of all, Tom, your comment about going to cash, sometimes it's a, it's a good move to have a little bit more cash. So much of it depends on your time horizon. And we have several of our clients that are closer to retirement or in retirement, and they should have a little bit more of a cash cushion so they can withstand market volatility uh, because it takes the emotion out of it. If they know they don't have to sell something and they can still pay their bills, they can, they still have their needs met. Uh, then it, then it keeps them from making an emotional investment decision uh, and, and going to cash. So that's one thing. I mean, having cash is really dependent on your, or how much cash you have is really dependent on your time horizon and consistent with what Mike's saying about the financial planning, you, you need to have that financial, you need to have your investment plan and stick with it. And this, uh, you say there's no accountability for the tweets from Michael Bury. He is not necessarily out there trying to drum up business because I think he manages his own money. Does he not? Yeah. So that's the other thing you have to look at the tweet, the source of the tweet, whether they've been right or not, what's in it for them? What, I mean, what's their purpose? And in his case, he probably just wants to express himself or he just, you know, just, he's not necessarily trying to, to drum up business from it. So, or if he's uh, short, he's trying to move the market. Well, that, that's a good well, point. And that's, that's what I've been, point. that's what I've been uh, suspicious of with all these Bill Ackman uh, yeah. interviews and stuff. Cause I think he has Bill Ackman Pershing square, you know, he'll be long, he'll be short. He's a, he's a, he's really a hedge fund as best I can tell. And, he will – I think he's got a media team that gets him interviews places where, you know, oh, we're bringing in Bill Ackman now, expert. The market is, you know, and he's talking his book. It's very obvious, but the average person doesn't realize it. The other thing, I, I think some of these conferences, like Jim Grant's conference, the way he gets those guys to come in and speak, like Greenlight or whatever that guy's name was that uh, was yeah, – um what was that guy's name? Uh, I mean, he was in there touting his own deal. And he, he was telling you to go long the stocks. He's just out there selling his positions, telling you to do what he's doing so it'll work. 
you know, get in this stock I own. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's doing. Is that Einhorn? Was that Einhorn. David Einhorn. Einhorn. David, David what, Einhorn. He's a putz. I mean, I, I'm so he may be a billionaire. That's fine. But I got up in his face, and he he was he was touting air cap at one of these con- yeah. things. And, and I said, you know, we've been in that space. He's looking at me, who the hell are you? You know, well, I'm a guy from Kentucky. <laughs> I bought my first pair of shoes to come to this uh, – <laughs> to, to, to come to this thing in New York City so I could tell you what an idiot you are. It was fun. The other time, I got Jamie Dimon to drop the F-bomb two or three times. And then I met him getting on the – this is the chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase. I met him getting on the elevator. I said, I hope I didn't – he laughed. And I said, have you ever thought about coaching a football team? And he's like, yeah, I love coaching. And then his, his lady says, come on, Jamie, we got to go back to the office. But anyway, these are just people. You know, they're just salesmen. That's all they are, really. And, and they're not experts yeah. per, per se. Now, Jeremy Siegel, that's an expert. Yeah. that That's a guy that, you know, you can really listen to because and, – and I think to some degree Jamie Dimon also is because mm-hmm. I would put more credibility in him than Bill uh, Ackman. Ackman. Well, and you, you look at <clears> – <throat> like any of these guys, I mean, Ackman, uh, he's had some horrible – bets on things and, yeah, I, and they say, keep and I talking say, to and him I say and i say bets because that's what they were um you know uh, i remember the target fiasco he's had several of them he's had some that were right people forget they forget i mean but you have some of the funds that you know they they close they liquidate the funds you know because of this and but and then start another one and then they start another sure one because it you gotta hit up. the high water mark um so it, it's always remember you know when these guys are out there talking a lot of times that most of the time they have an agenda uh follow the money are they hawking gold are they hawking annuities you know what are they pushing what are they pushing you know follow the money where are they compensated what's their incentive you have to yeah what are, how are we compensated let's talk about it for a minute we're we're a registered investment advisor we invest money for clients in the hope of producing both dividends and growth, those two things don't always come exactly at the same time. But the the point is, over time, to produce total return for our clients who are typically retirement uh, investors. That means that they have a sum of money. It could be inside of a tax-deferred account like an IRA rollover, a 401k, 403b, something that's sometimes been rolled over into an IRA is still in a tax-deferred account. They're taking withdrawals from that account periodically in order to uh, either help with their living expenses. Some cases, that is their living, uh, that that is their money they use for their living expenses. And so it's up to us to try to produce, we hope, not only a growing investment pool, but a growing dividend and income payout. It takes research, and then it takes uh, – you have to be um, dedicated. You have to stay on top of it at all times. You have to try to avoid big potholes um, and keep at it. And and history, study of markets, doing exactly what we're doing now – you know, debating it, having opinions, having your opinion, have a hole blown in it and changing your opinion. That's part of what we do. Right. And the other 
goes hand in hand with that, you know, is on the client side. Um, if we did all this in the background, but the client didn't know any of what goes on or they had no understanding, they didn't want to understand that can potentially be a problem. Yeah. Because if you know what you own, typically uh, when markets get bumpy, um, I mean, you like it, but you might be, you're more likely to ride through it. There's a guy who has a radio show that comes on this station in a couple hours or so. And he'll, if you don't really want to know how your investment works, but you just want to, you know, feel like you have security, buy something that's a simple kind of thing, that may be the solution for you. We're going to tell you what's under the hood, how it works, and, you know, it's not uh, uh, some insurance product that is um, being sold to you. Well, and that this that's the key. It's a process. It's not a product. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and that that is the key. What what is the investment process? It's not a once. The one process and done. is the product. The process is the product. Yeah. Right. Um, but it it it's like. Uh, with retirement, while you're uh, still working, while you're contributing to it, when you retire, life happens, things change. That's a process. You you can't have one solution that fits that whole thing. It doesn't so stay static forever. It doesn't stay static. Just like the investment approach needs to uh, be dynamic and change as your situation it's changes. like anything else in life. I mean, you know, you have stuff that comes up. Well, you have not only the individual investments that are held in the client's account, client's portfolio that you need to understand, but you also need to understand how those investments work together. They Good are, point. they're serving different purposes or maybe it's a priority for one to produce current income. And another one's we, we've got it in there because we think it has great growth potential right. for the next several years. It's not going to pay a lot of current income, but it's going to go up in value. So you combine those two, and then we've got a good rising dividend stream plus capital appreciation. That's what we're trying to achieve. We're, we're happy to get returns. Or we're happy to get the returns any way we can. Uh, it can be sometimes capital gains are, are, are going to be the primary driver, but other times it's going to be dividends and yep. Uh, you've just got to be tuned into that and understand how it fits with your clients' investments and uh, with, with their goals and make the investments match their goals. So that's the kind of thing we're tweaking portfolios, weights, and, and positions based on on trying to achieve those goals for our clients. Right. So I don't know. I, I Why would you not call us? <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. So it's two three. It's 859-23304. Then let me tell you something. I'm kind of joking, but I'm also being serious. There's a ton of people out there that listen to this program. You've told me. I know who you are. You haven't called us. You need to call us. I don't completely know you. That's, that sounds creepy. Um, we have no way of knowing who you are. That, so that just just erase that I think statement. maybe you ought to let me take over. No, no. I'm, I'm going to finish. It'll be 15 seconds. Whoever you are. Call us because I know you've listened to this show. You've gotten a lot of good information, but we we can't do this for free. You know, we need your business. We can't help you unless you, you let us give us a call. It is so important to have a financial plan customized to your situation. Give us a call, 859-233-0400. You can go to our website, DupreeFinancial.com, and schedule an appointment directly from there. 
859-233-0400. We appreciate you listening to our financial hour. We look forward to talking to you next week about some more financial business. Have a great week.